Hey, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a tablet or smartphone, uversion.com is a, a great app that you can use and follow along digitally. Speaking of digital, I welcome all of you on Facebook that are watching this morning. And uh, we're continuing on with our sermon series. But as you're, you're making your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I wanted to mention uh, something exciting coming out this week. In fact, next Saturday. How many here you listen to podcasts? on any number of topics, a handful of you. So New Hope, we put out every week already, we put out on anywhere that you might listen to podcasts, you can find New Hope Church, New Hope Adel, on any of those platforms. And we already put out our weekly sermons, and so you can listen to them on your way to work or wherever you listen to podcasts. But starting this week, we're adding to the sermons, and we're actually creating two new shows and, and each show is going to have a different emphasis. This Saturday, we're releasing our first episode of a new show. It's called Real Talk, Real Life, Real Talk, Real Coffee with Hannah Sanders. And uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be an exciting show because here's part of what I love about this show. This show is, is you guys. It's not only for, for you, for all of us, but the panels, every episode that we do is of you. And it's you sharing about your life. It's you sharing about how in your context, in your setting, the things that God is teaching you, the, what it looks like to, to follow Christ, the, the points where you might struggle or have challenges or, or just seeing God do some amazing things. It's where we as the body get to encourage one another. We get to coach one another. And so each episode, again, we'll bring panels of people with Hannah uh, to meet with you. And so this Saturday, the first episode comes out. And so uh, next week we'll have, if you're like, I don't even know what a podcast is. We'll have lots of instructional, here's how you find it, here's how you listen to it. But I'm very excited because all, you know, all of us are going places during the week. You're, you're off to work, you're dropping the kids off at school, whatever the case may be, and now you can have this extra layer of just encouragement during the week and coaching, and so it's going to be an exciting thing. So be looking for that. Next Saturday we'll be talking more about it, but this, or Sunday we'll be talking more about it, but next Saturday is when it, uh, when it releases. So we are in the middle of a sermon series called Prayers God Always Says Yes To. And what we're doing is we're looking at a handful of prayers in Scripture that God says, when you pray this prayer to me, I'm telling you up front, God says, I'm going to say yes to your prayer. And it's a promise. Now last week we got started, and the big idea last week was God always says yes to the prayer for the Holy Spirit in your life. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit plays this important role in our lives. And as we, as we ask for the Holy Spirit to work in us and, and to be in our, our lives, that God says, I'm going to say yes to that. So whether it's conviction of sin we talked about, or, or, the, or just the idea the Holy Spirit wants to help you be more like Jesus, God says, I, I want to answer that prayer. Or, or also the, the prayer for the Holy Spirit empowers us. And so as we just pray, Holy Spirit, empower me to live for you. Empower me to love others like you love. He says yes. He wants to help us with that. The other thing we talked about last week as well was this idea that God loves when you and I come to him in prayer. He loves that. He, he wants to hear from us. Remember we talked about this idea that when, when you pray to God, that he's actually bending down. And literally it says in the Hebrew or Greek, it says he cups his ear to listen to what you have to say. He wants to know what you're saying. I mean, he knows what you're saying, and he already knows what you're going to say, but he so cares and loves to hear from you in prayer that that's the picture he gives in the Bible. See, God wants us to come to him in prayer. He wants us to talk with him. Now, Jesus touched on this idea, and he says something very interesting. In fact, the night before he was arrested and eventually went to the cross, 
he says something about prayer on this idea that I think is significant. Look with me at John chapter 15, verse 7. Now, if you went to 1 Corinthians, you're like, hey, you tricked me. We'll get to 1 Corinthians in just a moment. But look at this verse, or just look on the screen behind. Look what it says. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's so much there. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. But this is just an opinion. I don't think we always read this verse quite right. Because I think this is how we tend to read this verse. Next slide. Here's what it looks like. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, boom, neon lights. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. I think that's the part we zero in on. Whatever you wish, ask it. Oh my goodness, this is like, God's like that cosmic vending machine, right? The Aladdin movie just came out. You know, rub the lamp and he comes out. Three wishes, what can I do for you? And this is picture of God. And, and so we go to this kind of verse and we say, well, it says, ask whatever you wish. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. But I think this is how we should read the verse. I think it should look more like this. Emphasize, if you hear, emphasize this. Remain in me, in my words, remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. See, I think when we think about this kind of verse here, I think the idea of what Jesus is trying to communicate is this. Stay close. Stay close. Stay by me. Remain in me. Abide. Attach to me. And as you do, I want you to talk to me. And I want to communicate with you through the word. And, and I want us to have this relationship. So stay as close as you can to me. Because here's what's going to happen. As you stay close to me, me being Jesus. Now, as you stay close to me and, and, and my words remain in you, then here's what's going to happen. As you are praying to me, then what's going to happen is that what's on my heart is going to increasingly be on your heart so that what you ask for in prayer is what I'm already wanting to do anyway that we are going to become so close in our relationship. And as you're praying and, and I'm responding and, and I'm leading you and shepherding you, that as you pray, I'm going to change your heart. And the things that you pray for are the things that I already want to do. That's this picture we get here in John chapter 15, verse 7, this picture of prayer and relationship. Because he, here's, here's the thing. Prayer, fundamentally, prayer fundamentally is not about what I can get from God. Now, you're invited to ask. You're encouraged to pray requests. You're encouraged to pray for others in situations that you're going through. For loved ones and for, for circumstances, you're encouraged to bring all that to God. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, it's really not about what you and I get from God. Now, God answers prayer because he's good. And he answers prayer because he's gracious. And he wants to do that. But you know what? Prayer fundamentally it's about relationship. Fundamentally, prayer is about your relationship with him. It's about, as we just talked about, it's about remaining in him. And it's about, again, as, as we pray, God, you realize this? When you spend time in prayer and you're devoted to prayer, God actually does a work in you. He begins to transform you and change you, change your priorities, change your passions, your heart, your goals, the things that you're going through. The things that make you so mad, all of a sudden, you just begin to pray about that situation or pray for that person, and all of a sudden, yeah, what they did wasn't right, but I'm just not quite as mad as I used to be. God, I think, I think you're working in me. I think you're helping me through this. That's what it looks like. It's about seeing God's will accomplished 
And it's about his kingdom advancing. And as we pray, he begins to work in us. And so this morning, I want to share with you uh, a, second, a second topic, a second promise, and last week was the first, uh, on this topic, that if you pray this, God always says yes. Now, uh, full disclosure, what I'm going to share with you this morning is a promise from God, but it's actually in Scripture, not a prayer. Now, this is intentional, because what I want to show this morning, using this one promise, is that you can use any promise in Scripture and turn that into a prayer. Any promise that he gives to you, and he gives all kinds of promises in Scripture, if you can take those promises, and you can take those promises back to God in prayer and say, God, you've promised this, and so I'm trusting you with this. And this morning, to to demonstrate and to work through that, I want to show you one promise from the Bible, but it's one that is, it's important, and we need this, because this applies to every single one of us. Here's the promise. Now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13 is our promise. It says this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, by the way, no, it doesn't say if. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Temptation. This is something, look, we're human. All of us deal with this. All of us face temptation. This is for all of us. And on this topic, God gives this promise. Actually, there's two promises here. The first one is this, is that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, all of us know what temptation is, but God says, look, I will give limits to this. And if you think, well, I don't know. You don't know what I'm going through temptation-wise, but it can be worse. But God protects. He puts limits on how much you're tempted. The second is this idea is that when temptation comes, he will provide a way out. He'll provide a way out for you. See, this is a, this is a promise. This is, this is something that impacts all of us all the time because we all face temptation. This is for all. This is for you, and this is for me. Now, interestingly enough, Barna did a nationwide study, and he asked the question nationwide of Americans, what, are you, what, what temptation is biggest for you in your life? And Barna came up with his top five list. See if you can relate with any of these. Because these are the types of things that we struggle with. I'm going to do Letterman style going backwards. Here, Number five is this idea. The temptation we struggle with as Americans. Number five was this. The temptation to be lazy. Everybody's like, uh-huh, amen. Okay, that's me, right? Next, number four, the temptation to overuse tech or social media. It's a temptation. It's an addiction. We kind of fall into that. Number three, the temptation to overeat. Anybody? Number two, the temptation to procrastinate. And then number one temptation reported by America, at least in this survey, was the temptation to worry. Isn't that true? I mean, we just, we worry about anything. And then we worry if we don't have anything to worry about. I mean, we're just always caught up in worry and that kind of a thing. I mean, can you relate to any of those? But maybe those weren't yours. Maybe for you it's different. Maybe for you it's a temptation to quit or a temptation to lash out. A temptation to lie, a temptation to hurt, to cheat, to drink, to gossip, to hold a grudge. And the list goes on and on and on. And what tempts you may not tempt me and vice versa, at least as much. But it's still there. So here's the key. If you have a bulletin on the back side, here's your first fill in the blank is this, this idea. In fact, I want to share two big ideas. Here's the first one. is this. Being tempted is not a sin. Please hear that. 
in fact, Jesus, in, this, in the gospel accounts, Jesus was tempted multiple times in the gospels. Being tempted is not a sin, but acting on it is. That's the dividing line. Being tempted is not a sin, but acting on it is. But here's the promise from God that we see in the Bible. Your next fill in the blank. Here it is. Big idea for this morning. God does not tempt us, but he promises to help us when we are. So important. God does not tempt us, but he promises to help us when we are tempted. Now, now we see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but we also see this in another passage in James chapter uh, 1, verse 13. Look at this here, because it helps us answer some of these questions here. In James, it says this, when tempted, again, not if, but when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And this again ties into that fill in the blank you just filled in here. See, God is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to trap you. God will test you, but he will not tempt you towards sin. And so any of those kind of ideas of like, well, well, well God is, is, is just, he's messing with me, or God is the one that's putting me in these positions, or God is the one that is inciting this internal desire inside of me, or whatever the case may be, that's not from him. He will test, but he will not tempt, trick, or trap. This is not who he is, and this is not what he does. Let's keep going in verse 14 as we begin to unpack how does this work. Because if temptation doesn't come from God, where does it come from and how does it work? Well, we answer these questions with these two verses. It can, James continues, he says, But each person is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There, there it is. And so, so what we see here is a, a sin cycle in terms of how temptation works. And here's how the process works. And, and you have some, num like number one, number two in your bulletin. Here's number one. Here's where this verse starts and where it starts with you and I as well. This temptation cycle that all of us engage to varying degrees every single day of our lives. Here's number one. It's this. Number one is desire. Number one is desire. And the verse talks about that in James. He says, then uh, um, each person is tempted to win by his own evil desire. Desire plays a role in temptation. It answers the question, where does temptation primarily come from? It comes from us. That primarily temptation comes from you and I. And it's this idea that, that um, the, the temptation, the, the desires we feel, uh, feel fuel the temptations that we have. In fact, I don't like ever do this, but I'm going to make one exception this morning. I'm going to quote a Bible verse from the message version, which is like the most, you know, just, it's an interesting translation, but look at Psalm 19 verse 3, because I do like the way this is articulated. I'm just going to say it out loud. It's not even a slide. It's this, that people, it says this, people ruin their lives by their own stupidity. So why does God always get the blame? That's Psalm 19 verse 3 in the message. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God always get the blame? Kind of lays it out pretty clear there. In James chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and 2, look with me at this one. Well, it's already on the screen. James says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, why do we fight? We fight in D.C., we fight in Des Moines, we fight in our own communities, we fight in our families, we fight in our marriage. Why? Well, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, 
but you don't get it. So you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, but you do not have. Why? Because in prayer, you do not ask God. There's this picture we get, this role of desire that fuels the temptations that are already hitting us every single day. So that's step one, desire, which rolls into then step number two of this sin cycle is, is deceive. Deceive. And this happens when we deceive ourselves. So this happens when, when the desires we have lead us to, to compromise, maybe to cut a little corner here or there. To, to do something we think, well, it's no big deal and, and everyone does it. And so what's, what's the big deal here? James articulates this with this way when he says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil, evil desires. Here it is. He is dragged away and enticed. And dragged away here is, in the original Greek, it's a hunting term. That's what it means. So some of you are hunters, I know. And so that's what this term is. It's this, this picture that we have here of an animal being lured into being prey by using different trickery and, and ways. So it's, it's things like the traps and calls and odors and baits and whatever the case may be. But it pulls the animal out of safety into the place of danger. That's what it means by being dragged away. And enticed is a fishing term. Some of you are fishermen. You like to fish or whatever. And that's what, this is a fishing term here. And it's this idea of bait on the hook, dropped in, deceives the fish who bites down on the bait. And your bait is different than my bait, just like different fish like different types of bait. But nonetheless, we're deceived. We bite the hook, it sets, and we're stuck. That's what happens here. We are deceived by the desires we have because of the temptations we feel. Number three, desire, deceive. Here's number three. Next is design. Because when we get to this stage then, when the desires are already there, when we're already deceived in our thinking, this is what we talked about with Lies We Believe sermon series, we're already deceived in our thinking, then as James says, it all gives birth to sin. And what we do at this stage is we make a plan. We make a plan to sin and we make a plan to cover the sin. And we, we trick ourselves. And we, and we, again, we continue to deceive ourselves all the time. We do things like, you know, a plot to accidentally run into that one person at the office at a certain time. Because you want to. And you think, what's the harm in that? Or, or maybe for you, it's the, the plan to undercut another employee at work. But the thought is, well, everybody else does it. It's the culture of our office, so what's the big deal? Or maybe it's the kind of thing of, I, I don't want to study for the exam. I'm just going to cheat and, and just get the easy A, and you justify it. That's the plan, but you justify it and say, well, the teacher's terrible, and i got to get an A, so I do what I have to do. These are the types of plans that we can create. We design our next steps here. And then finally, number four, once we're at this place, we're set, we're done. We make the decision, and we disobey. That's the sin cycle. Desire leads to deception. Deception leads to design. And design leads to disobedience here in this, this process where we cross the line into sin. As James says, that, that what is conceived now gives birth to sin. And the sin that we have results in death. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We, we, we see all this and we say, okay, that makes sense. The problem is this, is that we sin... And then nothing happens. We maybe we even enjoyed it. But we looked around and no lightning struck me. 
and I still got a good parking space there in front of the shopping mall, and things seemed to be working out actually really well. I, I, I sinned, and then nothing happened, and so I did it again, and then things are still okay, and nothing's going wrong in my life, and we have the, the, the mindset then that I think I got away with it. Like, I think it's okay. I think this is actually working out. I kind of got what I wanted. I got what I enjoyed, and nothing bad happened to me. And when this happens, this mindset sets in. What it does is it weakens our will to fight the cycle of sin because the next time our desire will be even strengthened to then being deceived, to then making my design to disobey. And I got away with it again? Are you kidding? Well, then my desire is in full flame that matches my temptation to be deceived, to design, to deceive, and on and on it goes. We think we're the exception. We think that we can sin and get away with it. We think that we can bite the hook, grab the bait, and swim away, and nothing hurts. We think that we can be, you know, be, be enticed the hunting theme and being drawn out and whatnot, and somehow that we're the exception that the hunter won't get us. That we're okay. Why do I share all this with you? Here's why. Because taking your stand, and my stand, against temptation begins at desire. That's where it begins. Because once desire has taken root, that fuels the temptations that are already going to come your way every single day, it's sure tough to get out of the cycle. Temptation begins at desire. So, so here's the key. That you and I, every day, we have to intentionally and prayerfully ask God, God, would you replace my desire for sin and selfishness with a desire for you? We have to swap out in increasing measure the desires that we have, the desire that you have for him and for obedience, to, to love him and to walk with him is far bigger than your desires for anything else in your world and for you. That's what it looks like to walk with God. That's what it looks like back to John 15, 7, when Jesus says, look, remain in me, stay close to me, walk with me, attach to me in my words, the scripture, into you such that that desire that you have, the primary desire you have is for him. Let me say it this way, and this is important. Please hear this, please hear this. What you crave is an indication of what you're worshiping. Think about that. What, what you crave will point to, will give you insight into what you worship. This is me and this is you. We need to watch this. We need to be careful of this. So, so what do we do? What, what's our action step this morning? I'm going to give you three ideas, three action steps this morning, just on this, just to help us tie all this together. Here's the first one. It's this. Next, fill in the blank. It, pray. And I know, it seems obvious, right? We're doing a whole sermon series on prayer. But I don't want to overlook this. Because the temptations that you have, the temptations I have, prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is a daily first resort. Do you know that Jesus, when he was in his ministry, for the three-year ministry, and he was going around and he was doing ministry, do you know that Scripture says on 33 different occasions he got away from the crowds to get just time with him and his Heavenly Father and prayed? 33 times. And we often say, if he had to do it, how much do we have to do it? We need to build in prayer into our lives on a daily basis to say, God, every day, I know temptations are coming my way. I know things are coming my way, but you, you give a promise that I'm going to trust you with that promise. And may my desire for you trump any desire that comes my way today. So pray. That's number one. Here's number two. 
that we need to pray, next fill in the blank, pray God's promises. And specifically, I want to show you how this works when it comes to just the, just the promise that we've been looking at here in 1 Corinthians 13. Because again, you can take any promise in the scriptures and you can turn it into prayer. See, what it looks like here is that when you are tempted, or even before you're tempted, that you come before God and you say, God, your word says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you say that no temptation will come upon me that you are not in control of. No temptation will hit me except what is common to man and that I can trust you in this. And so, Lord, you promise, you say that when, when that temptation comes, that you will provide a way out. So, Lord, this is what I'm facing. This is the temptation I'm going through. And name it. Like, identify it. Just, just call it what it is before God. Say, this is what I'm facing. I'm not proud of it. I don't like it, but this is what's hitting me, and it's hitting me every single day and even throughout the day. And so, God, I'm bringing it before you, and you promise, you said that you will protect me in this, that you will provide a way of escape. And so, Lord, I'm trusting you for that today. Do you provide a way of escape? That's what it looks like to pray the promise. And that's a promise that God gives, and that's a prayer that God will always say yes to every single time as you go before him and you say, God, help me with this temptation. He promises he yes. He, he will. Which brings us to number three. Envision the consequences. I think there's tremendous value in taking time to consider, to imagine the outcome of your choices before you make the choice. Imagine what will happen. Think, think long-term. We often think so short-term, but think long-term. Ask this question. If I do this, who's going to be impacted? And make a list. And you can put God right at the top of the list every single time because sin is first and most against him. But, but if I make this decision, I'll just use myself as an example. If I make this decision, who is this going to impact? Well, this is going to impact my wife, Laura. It's going to impact my four kids. It's going to impact my extended family. It's going to impact my church. It's going to impact my friends. It's gonna, and you just begin to just names. And what you're going to find is that the decisions that you and I make, you don't make them in a bubble. And the idea that the choices I make only impact me is, a, is completely false. The choices we make impact so many people. And you know, in some cases, it actually becomes generational, doesn't it? That the compromises we make and the sins we go down, in the sin cycle we get caught in, all of a sudden, it's just, it's passed on the next generation and the next. And our story, a family story, becomes a generational story of being stuck. And so write the names. Begin to write the names. And as you see the names, it's going to be that reminder of, I don't live to myself alone. But what I do and the choices I make impact a lot of other People. This is an important thing to do. See, I'm convinced that God will say yes to this prayer because he promises that he will. And can I tell you a second reason? The second reason for me personally that I am convinced that God will say yes to this prayer, especially regarding temptation, is because I'm a dad. That's why. Because if any of my kids ever came to me and they said to me, Dad, I'm struggling with this, or I feel, I feel tempted in this area, or sexual purity, or, or anger, or whatever it is that they're facing, and they came to me and said, Dad, I'm struggling in this area. This temptation is too big. Dad, will you help me in this area of my life? 100% every single time, the answer is yes. 
doesn't matter which kid, doesn't matter what situation, I will say yes every time to my kid's request to me to help them avoid sin because sin will kill them. It will destroy them. It will destroy their relationships, their future. And sometimes we're just so calm about sin because we're so used to sin maybe, but it, is just, it destroys every single time. And I'm going to say yes to my kid's request to help them in any area of temptation that they face. How much more your heavenly Father who promises, who says, come to me. I want to help you. But you have a job to do, and so do I. And the band, you come on up if you would, please. Here, here's the job. Your job and my job is to come before him and to pray. Your job and my job is to say, look, look, God, you promised it, but I want to put that promise into action. And so, God, I come before you, and I, I'm just going to pray this back. Lord, help me in this area. And so can I encourage you this morning, wherever you're at in your prayer life, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, that you would begin, just like we encouraged last week with the Holy Spirit, that you would begin to incorporate into your life praying the promises, specifically praying the promise about temptation. Like today, like, like now, building this into your daily life. God, help me. Because it's not if, it's when. It's going to come at you. Let's do that right now. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so kind and gracious. You, you give us promises in your scriptures, promises that we, we just sometimes forget they're there. And this morning, as we look at your promise to help us in this area of temptation, Lord, I, I'll put myself at the front of the line. But for every single one of us this morning here, who call New Hope home, Lord, would you provide a way out? Would you protect and Lord, as we build into the habit to come to you in our lives and we just label the temptation for what it is and we say, God, help me. That we would see you and have testimony and stories to share with other people to encourage others of all the ways that you show up and help us through the temptation. We thank you for how good you are, how gracious and kind you are in this. We praise in Christ's name.
put our pride aside and, and ask for you to help us, God. I pray as we go along with our week that that would just be um, on our thoughts, that um, you are a God that wants to help us, and you are a God that wants, you just want us to sit on your lap. You want us to, to give these burdens to you. So I pray that we do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.